tell the Corinthian church that each of us is a member, right? We're an individual member. We have a place. We have a calling. We have a function. Uh, there's a season sometimes for us as we serve. Uh, all of us are valuable, but we make up the body of Christ together. Jesus is our head. And, and that's true of, of churches as a whole here in Okinawa. And um, man, I, I, I know for John and myself and the other pastors, uh, the Lord is doing a really neat thing here. We have a great relationship with the other churches. In fact, we can pray for COSA. If some of you guys know uh, COSA Baptist, they're praying and going to be voting for a new pastor actually this morning. Uh, and so we can pray for them. Um, but, you know, we're just the body of Christ. And so what an honor it is to be able to share God's word with you this morning. I was thinking about a pastor friend of mine. He's uh, kind of a big, burly dude. He's all tatted up, kind of a biker-looking guy. We'd gone to a pastor's conference before and ended up meeting another pastor who was a little more conservative. The, the guy was in a polo, kind of tucked in, and they were talking. And he's like, yeah, we're just the body of Christ. And then my friend who was the big, burly guy said, if it helps you, you can just think of me as the armpit, you know? <laughs> like, what great humility. I thought, what would we be as Calvary? For our church, we'd probably be the stomach because we like to eat. So anyways... It is an honor for me to be here. Uh, you guys as a church are going through the book of James. Everyday Faith, I think, is your title there. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me, please, to the book of James. And speaking of body parts, that's exactly what I have the privilege of sharing with you about this morning from James chapter 3. We're going to be talking about our mouths as James will talk about the mouth. Um, if you're new or you're visiting this morning, welcome. Welcome to the second best church on island. And uh, all right, I need to get there myself. James. And if you guys would entreat me, just something that we do at our church, uh, would you stand with me? I'm going to read the word of God to you. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. If you're a note taker, I entitled my message, Walk the Talk. And, uh, and I'll just read the verse 6, just to help get us some context of where we're going, okay? James, inspired of God's spirit, he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Though they are so large and they're driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. I realize the version's a little different. I'm reading from the New King James. And so the tongue is a little member, James writes, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. And then he just says it plainly, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature. And he even says it's set on fire by hell. All right, we'll pause there and uh, would you pray with me real quick? Lord, thank you so much 
for this morning, a beautiful day that you've given us, God. It's a great reminder of how your mercies are new every morning, just the bright sun and the beautiful place of Okinawa. Lord, we pray that as we've read your word, that even as James will instruct us later, we don't want to just be hearers of your word, but Lord, we want to be doers, that we want our, our faith to be lived out practically every day, even as James would encourage his readers. And God, I also want to just say thank you for Pillar and Lord, just your blessings upon this church and pray that you continue to bless this body. Bless Pastor John and his family as they're on a, a furlough for the summer. Lord, we lift up Coza Baptist to you this morning and pray over them and God that you would lead and guide their decisions for the new pastor. Lord, I think about Pastor Chris at Neighborhood who's also traveling. Bless him. And certainly for Calvary, Lord, be with Alex as he's sharing. But Lord, as we all have this tremendous privilege to be under shepherds uh, as pastors, Lord, we gather to hear from you, our chief shepherd, and that by your spirit, you would speak to our hearts, that you would illuminate your word, and God, that it would be more than just an academic exercise, that truly you would change our hearts from the inside. And so we just invite you to come and, and be our teacher, really. It's in Jesus' name that we ask and pray these things together. Amen. Amen. All right, would you take a moment, say hello, greet a neighbor, shake a hand, hug a neck, and uh, introduce yourself to somebody if you haven't. And then afterwards, you can have a seat. church. <laughs> All right, you guys can have a seat. No one would ever accuse this church of being unfriendly. Man, gold star for you guys. Good job. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. The Lord said that uh, the world will know that we belong to him by our love for one another. So praise the Lord. You know, when I was a kid, a lot of my friends uh, would say these phrases. Maybe you did as a kid or maybe you heard them. And, and usually we'd say them to our so-called friends when they would say mean things to us. One of the things we'd say is, uh, I'm a rubber and you're glue. And whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. You ever heard that saying before? Right? Same thing, like two people in first service. All right, well. The other one that we would say is, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You ever heard that phrase or said that before? Yeah, a couple of you? All right. Well, if you've said it, you've, uh, you've, maybe you heard it, uh, and you'll know this too. Uh, it's a nice saying, but it really it's not true. Because uh, if you've ever been at the receiving end of mean words or cutting words or hurtful words, you know that words can hurt, and, and they can hurt deep. Right? What a person says to you or about you can inflict tremendous harm and great damage. You know, there are certain physical pains that we experience that are pretty unique, 
And, and sometimes there's a commonality or an identity when you experience that pain. For example, everyone stub their toe. Right? We understand that pain. Stub your toe. For some of you parents or uncles or aunties, if you step on a Lego, that's a unique kind of pain, right? Stepping on a Lego. Yeah. Um, ever break a bone? Ever break a bone? I heard childbirth is pretty, pretty painful. Right? Anybody ever have a kidney stone before? Yeah? Our, our fellowship of suffering, bro, right here, right? I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. It is a painful, crazy, it's very unique type of pain. And so several years ago, I was here in Okinawa, and uh, I, I didn't know at the time that it was a kidney stone. I just thought I was going to die. And I thought, oh, no, this is it. Something's happening. And, and it was excruciating. I was doubled over. I began to cry. I began to throw up. I mean, the pain was so bad. And so I ended up calling my wife in. I said, honey, this is it. I'm going to go. Um, don't worry. I, my, the will is good. My life insurance is good. And so she was happy. She's like, all right, you know, we'll see you. And I called the kids in. I said my goodbyes. And, uh, and so she calls the ambulance, and the ambulance shows up, Japanese ambulance. And I'm hobbling out, and all of a sudden I see them. They see me. And, and I kid you not, the gurney that they brought was the size of a skateboard. And so I'm looking at it, and they're looking at me, and the, they kind of do this. And I'm like, I was afraid that it was going to collapse on me, so I... I really, literally, I just wrote it like a scooter. I put my, you know, leg up on it. I'm like, all right, let's go. And, uh, and off to the hospital I went. But it was a kidney stone, and it's horribly painful. And, uh, you know, we experience these certain type of pains, and, and they're unique. Uh, and just as painful can be wounds that are inflicted by words. And I realized for some of us, you know, even... For some of you, you, you have a scar that no one sees, but it's in your heart and it's in your soul because at some point in your life, someone said something really mean to you, or they belittled you, or they cut you down, or they, they trash-talked you. Or maybe even for some of you, you're still hurting, and it's something that you guard pretty close. And it might have been a small thing, but just like the kidney stone, you ever see that thing magnified? It looks like Superman's... Uh, you know, starship that he flew in as a baby. It's jagged, it's hard, it's, that's the little thing that cuts you. And sometimes it's just little words that can be so cutting and so painful, the smallest of things. And words are powerful, and they can inflict a, a unique kind of pain. And, and James knew this well, and he wants to communicate to his readers and by virtue us as we read these words here. And if you're aware, you know that the entire book of James is very practical. James, actually his real name, you know, it's a, it's a very loose transliteration of Jacob. His real name is Jacob. He's a good Hebrew boy, Yaakov. He's the half-brother of Jesus. Tradition calls him James the Just. Uh, but as a good Jewish boy, he writes very proverbial. It's like, that's kind of the Jewish, uh, you know, method and style. And so as you make your way, as you guys are making your way together as a church through the letter of James, uh, you'll find that it's very instructional. It's very practical. Out of the 108 verses that James has, 60 of them are imperatives. It's just what to do and how to do it. And he's not ashamed and he's not, he doesn't hold back. He just kind of tells us what to do. It's like the, the New Testament equivalent of a fortune cookie. And, and he's just hitting these things. 
But what's interesting about the beginning of James 3 is that unlike the rest of the letter, which is very instructional, very practical, the beginning of James 3, we don't find a lot of imperatives. There's really only two. In fact, there's only really one main one that he's going to thrust. He's going to punch us in the face uh, with this one truth, but he's going to illustrate it. He's going to take several verses to illustrate what he's talking about, and he uses six different word pictures for us. If you've been making your way through James with the rest of the church, you know that the big idea is that for those who have been truly called by Christ, who have truly been saved by the Spirit, that we will live out our faith practically every day, that the true root inside is going to bear true fruit on the outside, that our works really just exemplify our faith. The things that we do are a display of the things that we believe and who we are. And that's the whole point of chapter two. That's where he's driving. And he's making this point. He now is going to focus this, the whole idea of don't just talk to talk, but you need to walk the walk. Now he focuses it on your mouth and mind, and he says, you need to walk the talk. And so that's where he goes, all right? James chapter three, verse one. Let's unpack these verses together. He begins with saying, my brethren, Now, James is going to do this several times. Along his letter, he's going to pause, and he's going to give just note to the fact that they are, we are a family in Christ. Now, he has some pretty hard things he's going to say to them. There are some hard things for us to read and to receive, but he wants to remind the audience, listen, I'm saying this in love, and I'm saying this because we are a family in Christ. It's truth in love. And he wants to challenge the reader, his original audience, and us as followers of Christ to live out what we claim to be. And by the way, to be challenged, that's a good thing for all of us. It's a good thing for us to be poked and prodded and spurred and to have iron sharpened iron sometimes. To have somebody in your life that loves you enough to say, hey, I don't know that you should do that or say that. I don't know that that's the best decision. Um, I went on the website here at the church and I saw that one of the small groups that they have, they're called Fight Clubs. That what a cool name, Fight Clubs, you know. I'm like, I want to be part of that. I bet it appeals to some of the guys. I thought if we adopted that name, my wife would probably join because, you know, she loves to, anyways. But, <laughs> but, you know, most of it I thought, I don't know if that'll work in my church. You know, we, we're a bunch of foodies that love Jesus. So I thought probably Steak Club would work <laughs> or, or Cupcake club would probably, <laughs> but that, that, you know, that's, that's really what it's talking, you know, the, the small group, and really the heart of James, he says, listen, I, I love you, but I love you enough to tell you that there are some things that, you know, you, you're not on the right track, and you need to be mindful of these things, and so, you know, even as we talk about words, and the power of words, and our influence of our words, and how we, we need to be careful, because words can hurt, and words can harm there are some times where words can hurt, but it's for good. And, and that's where James is going to go. He, we don't want to confuse the idea that hurt always equals harm. There's a young girl in our church, um, they PCS just a couple weeks ago, but she had broken her arm um, in line skating. And, uh, and when she got to the doctor's office, the way that the bone had broken and the way that it was starting to set, they, they actually had to reset it. They had to in a sense, kind of re-break her arm. 
And, uh, and so this poor little girl was relating the story, and then she was remembering the pain. She's crying in tears, and they had to break my arm again, you know, and, and it was painful. But the doctors and the nurses, the corpsmen that were doing that, they, you know, their intent wasn't to harm her, but they had to, in a sense, hurt her because they needed to get the bone right so that it could heal, so that it could be strengthened, so that there would be stability. And, you know, the same thing happens in our lives, too. There are people that God will send into your life, and they're going to speak words, and sometimes it's hard to hear. Sometimes it's going to be hurtful to hear the truth. But God's intent always behind those things is that we would be strengthened, that we would be, you know, stabilized, that there would be healing in our lives. And there are times where the Lord will bring something, and it cuts, and it hurts, but it's good for us. And that's what James' intent is. He says, my brethren, and here now he's going to give a warning And he gives a reason for the warning. He says, let not many of you become teachers because knowing we, and he includes himself, are going to incur a stricter judgment. Well, by the way, let me give you this verse. It's so good. It's Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It's good to have a friend that will speak truth and love to us. Now, James has this warning and the reason for it, and we understand, first of all, that teaching and wanting to teach is a good thing. Paul would say, listen, if you desire the position of uh, of leadership, that's a good thing. That's a noble aspiration. And of course, teaching in itself by profession, that's a noble work. And if you're a teacher this morning, man, I know that you're often underappreciated, I'd also say underpaid, but I, I have some friends that are Dodea teachers. I know that you're not necessarily underpaid. But. but, you know, really, the reality is, aside from our parents, you think about it, most of our time growing up is spent with our teachers. It has been their instruction. It has been their influence that have shaped us and, and spoken truth into our, our hearts and lives. It's no small thing, and James recognizes that. He wants us to understand there is a weight to this. There is a a consideration to the responsibility for those who would instruct others in the words that we're going to speak. Now, that is true in general, but how much more so when it comes to the house of God and the teaching of the things of God, how that responsibility increases. And it's not lost on me. I realize there's going to be a day I'm going to stand before God and give an account for the things that I have said. Um, and and it's, it's a scary thing. Even after 18 years of doing ministry here, and even back in California, I was the children's pastor. I had a chance to speak from time to time when my pastor was gone, and I, I still get nervous. In fact, even when I would do announcements, my hands would get all sweaty, my mouth would get all sticky, and I'd ask my wife, please pray for me. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I gotta do announcements, you know, and, it's no small thing. My, you know, my worst nightmare is to get to the pulpit and just have nothing and go blank, you know, and all I can think is the, that cartoon, just smile and wave, boys. <laughs> I got to have more than that. You know, James attaches um, a consideration of what it would mean to be a person who has influence and speaking before, especially in the body of Christ, as he addresses them, my brethren. It's Paul who adds to that. He says, you know, leadership is more than just ability. As he writes to Timothy and Titus, the emphasis is on character and integrity. 
In fact, if you ever go through that list of qualifications of, of elders and deacons, uh, you know that list is more about who a person is than what they can do. There's actually only one thing that's really an ability. It's able to teach. All the rest of that is about who a person is. Yet, sadly, isn't it interesting? We often place a lot of value on gifting and charisma, sometimes above character and integrity. It shouldn't be that way. So James reminds us. He's giving a warning who thinks, well, those who would say, oh, I can do that. I have something to say. You know anybody like that? They just talk to talk. They're just always talking. You know, I think it was Mark Twain who said, it's better to keep your mouth closed and appear a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. And so there's, a, there's an admonition of like, hey, let's be sober-minded. Let's be sober-minded of the role and responsibility. If you have a platform where you're teaching, you have an opportunity to speak truth into other people's lives. And listen, it's not just the pulpit, by the way. I mean, what Uncle Ben tells Peter Parker in Spider-Man, it's true, right? With great power comes great responsibility. And, and so James is reminding us of this. There's a higher standard, a higher standard, excuse me. And it's not just of the pulpit. If any of you have the blessing of leading a small group, that's for you. If you're instructing people around you in your home, that's for you. If you're helping out in the Sunday school, that's for you. And by the way, can I say for the Sunday school teachers, if you're a Sunday school teacher, God bless you. And for parents that have kids over there, you better give them some love and respect. Because for, I did children's ministry for many years, and I can tell you that it's the children's ministry teachers that know all the dirt about you as parents. Because <laughs> I would do prayer requests, and little hands would go up, you pray for my mom and dad. My mom says my dad's drinking too much. I'm like, oh, really? You know. <laughs> Those teachers know all the dirt about you guys, right? So love on them well. And so it's for those of us who teach. God says, listen, I'm going to hold you to a higher standard, and it's sobering. And I want to suggest to you that the principle, the idea here, as James says, that we're going to receive a stricter judgment, it's not just when we get to heaven. Certainly, we're going to give an account for every idle word that we spoke. But it's also for here on earth. right? Because like it or not, for if you name the name of Christ, if you say, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a believer in Jesus, I'm a Christian, there are people around you who will just judge you. They'll evaluate you. They're listening to the words that you say. And isn't it interesting if you experience that, this, that even the non-believer creates a higher standard for the believer? I've experienced it. People are like, oh, I thought you were a Christian. You shouldn't say that. I remember as a baby, a baby Christian, I think I was just saved a, uh, you know, a couple weeks. I was, this is back in California. I'm in a warehouse working, and I was frustrated with my worker. And he came, and he said something, and I said something really off-color to him, like, well, we have kids here. So I just said something really mean and bad. And then another coworker said, hey, I thought you were a Christian, man. You should be saying that. So I held my tongue. And I just gave him the one-way sign to heaven. No, just kidding. I, <laughs> I didn't do that. I wanted to. It was in my heart. But, right? Even the non-believer knows, hey, there's a standard. We're judged by this. And so James gives this. He leads off with this warning for the position, but now he's going to talk about something that all of us can relate. He's just going to talk about our words. Where does he go next? Verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. 
in many things. And if anyone doesn't stumble in the word, he's a perfect man. He's able to bridle the whole body. James tells us something that we can all say amen to. It's a universal truth. We all mess up. We all blow it sometimes. Right? The Bible teaches us this. We're, we're all sinners. Now, if you're saved, you're a saved sinner. Right? We're saved by grace, but we're all sinners. None of us is perfect yet. None of us is sinless. Hopefully, we are sinning less but we're not sinless. That Jesus is sinless. That's, that's reserved for the perfect man. And by the way, right, that's the gospel. The Lord is perfect. He's blameless. He's spotless. That is why Jesus alone qualifies to be the substitute for you and me. That he took our place in our guilt, in our shame, when he died upon a cross. It's the, it's the ultimate trading places. The Lord says, I'll take your guilt, I'll take your shame, and I'm going to give you my perfect righteousness. My perf- he imputes to us, he credits you and me with his standing before the Lord. But James tells us a universal truth. We, we're all going to mess up. We're, we're going to blow it. You know, um, I, I had this dream last night. It's a dream that a lot of pastors have. Maybe Pastor John has had this dream before. I told first service. So my dream, I got to heaven and I noticed these strange clocks on the wall. And I started looking around and I was asking the angel, man, what are these clocks? And I saw people's names underneath them. And, and I went up to one and I saw John's. And I said, look at John's. And, and he had cobwebs on the clock. And the angel said, oh, listen, Rick, that's, those aren't clocks. Those are sin meters. Every time a person sins, it moves. I'm like, wow, look at John, cobwebs, that's pretty good. I'm like, what about Pastor John's? Where's his? And so the angel showed me John, Pastor John's, and it was moving pretty good. (laughs) Sorry, Pastor John. (laughs) Then I asked for Ron Koya. You guys know Ron Koya? He's a good friend of mine. I said, hey, where's Ron Koya's? They go, oh, we keep it in a special place. I thought, wow, Ron Koya, holy. Like, where do you keep it? They said, the kitchen. I'm like, why the kitchen? Oh, we use it as a fan. We all sin. We're all messed up. James tells us a universal truth that, hey, listen, we, there are times where we're going to stumble in our walk with the Lord. We need to remember, though, gang, that the same grace that saved you is the same grace that sustains us. This is, this is our mark towards perfection. And, and there's grace when we mess up, and there's forgiveness when we mess up. But the point that James is making subtly is, to, listen, we, we need to be moving towards maturity, though. That's really the whole letter, right? It's encouraging us to mature in our faith, to realize it's going to look a certain way, and that God's love working in you and through you is going to grow us up in these things. And so if you're a note taker, you can kind of just phrase it this way. He makes a correlation. The idea that God desires for us to grow maturity, and here's the correlation, okay? One significant way that you and I would display Maturity in our faith, it's by our words. Because it's the immature person that has no control over their mouth. There's no filter. There's no consideration of who they're talking to. Right? Open their mouth. It's just garbage. It's poison, even as James will say later. They just spew all this stuff indiscriminately. 
verbally and social media. You have any of those friends? You're like, oh my goodness, someone help this person. They need a filter. You know somebody like that? What's their name? Tell me. I'm just kidding. And yet the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That is true in the way that we act. And gang, that is true in the words that we speak. It's the mature person that has learned to hold their tongue. It's spiritual maturity. It's marked by mindful speech. Spiritual maturity is marked by mindful speech. And there are times where it's just better not to say anything. We're told in Mark chapter 9 that Peter, when he's up on the mountain, he begins to talk, and that's kind of Peter's known for. He says, it's good for us to be here. Let's just build tabernacles right now. And Mark tells us that Peter said that because he didn't know what to say. Can I give you a little word of advice? If you don't know what to say, don't say anything. That's usually the best policy. Because here's the reality Your choice of words and my choice of words reveals a lot about who we are. It it, it says a lot about you, your choice of words. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool vents all their feelings, but a wise person holds them back. Proverbs 25, 11 says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Verse 12 says, as an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. And so James lets us know, as we mature in faith, there's going to be a discernment in the words that we say, a filter in our speech. There's a direct correlation. Now he's going to illustrate the significance of words in six different ways. So like I mentioned, there's not a lot of imperatives. There's one, and we'll get to it. It's, it's formed the negative. He just basically punches us in the face and says, don't do this. But let's look at these verses, how he illustrates it. The first place he goes is in verse 3. He says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. So he's likening the mouth, our words, the power of them, and then a bit in the horse's mouth. Anybody ever ride a horse before? You guys ride a horse? I, I rode a horse one time. Started off great, a little bit slow. Started getting faster. Then I fell off. And all of a sudden, my head started hitting the ground. The horse was going. And I was crying out, Lord, help me. And I thought, oh, no, this is it, just like my kidney stone. And finally, the manager came over and unplugged the ride. It was great. So just, <laughs> sorry, that's not a true story. I have never ridden a horse Although I've seen horses, and, uh, and I've seen a lot of westerns, and, uh, and before I was saved, I went to horse races. It's amazing to think about, you know, this beautiful, powerful animal, and somehow you can see their muscles, right? And, and how even in horse racing, it's the smallest, lightest human being they can find. And they put them on this enormous, strong animal, and really it's just by the smallest little bit that goes in their mouth where it rains, and they control this animal. It's amazing. We give a lot of respect to the power of horses. In fact, even today, when we talk about a form of power, we call it horsepower. Right? We talk about engines. and You know the little K car with the yellow plate? You know, on average, it's like 60 horsepower. Like, man, those little things, I can barely move when I'm in there, right? 
but a Mustang in the States, 310 horsepower. Now we're talking, right? We give a lot of respect to the power horses. And Paul says, consider a horse, how powerful it is. And yet it's this little thing that controls it. So he illustrates it that way. Then he says in verse four, here's another, yet another illustration. He says, look at the ships. Now for us in Okinawa, you know, if you're in the military, it's easy to imagine that. Now he's not talking about destroyers or uh, is it LHDs? Is that the right term? Oh yeah. I was an Air Force brat, so anyways. And, you know, he's not talking about those big cruise liners that we see. You know, those are massive now. They're like 20 stories high, some of these cruise liners. He's talking about sailboats, but the, the imagery is still the same. Relative to the size of the boat, right? Even these huge sailboats that the wind is driving it, this, it's just a rudder. It's small, comparative to the rest of the boat. And yet by the small little thing, it can control the direction of these boats. And so both these illustrations are talking about influence and control. And we think about that as we apply it to our mouths. How much influence you have just by speaking to somebody. How much control that we can exude and, and command over a person or a situation just by our words. And the Bible says that, that you know, even with the soft answer, it's like breaking strong bones. And, and Paul, or excuse me, James is saying this. He says, verse five, so even the tongue, it's a little member. We don't wanna downplay the enormous significance that even something so small has. And gang, I know this is a truth we all realize, that your words are influential. There are pow- it's, there's power in the things that you say. With a, a word, you can build a life, and with words, you can destroy life. You can make somebody's day, you can make their year, even the smallest of things. When I was 10 years old, my parents divorced. My mom was Okinawan. I was born and raised here. My dad was American. He's, he's as white as they came. He is from New Hampshire. Um, and I grew up on Kadena. In fact, it was kind of strange. I told First Service, worshiping here in this place, because when I was a kid, this was a liquor store that I stole from. And now I'm here as a Christian, worshiping God. Like, it, it was just a little bit like, whoa, Lord, how good God is, right? Anyways, so um, my dad didn't know how to handle, I was a bad kid. My dad didn't know how to handle me. He ends up sending me to my mom who had gotten remarried to a Marine and, and they lived in Yuma Proving Ground. Anybody ever been to Yuma, Arizona? It is Hades on earth. It's so hot there. All rock gardens. And the only thing that I could do was there was a little Quantum hut that was the gym. And so every day I went to the gym to go, I can't tell now, but I did. Every day I went to the gym. And, and part of it was, it was just my escape, but there was a guy that worked at the gym, and he didn't know this, and I don't know that he was a believer, I wasn't, but every time I walked in there, he would just say, hey, how's it going, champ? How are you today, tiger? What's going on, boss? He had like this little nickname for me every kind of day, every day I went, and then when I would go and try to lift, he's like, you can do it, you got it, you know, and it was like, <laughs> it's so funny, and 30 years later, I, it just, the, the emotion of it's still there. 
the smallest of things, and it just spoke so much life to me that I still hold on to this day. We never know how what you say to someone, the vector that you will send them on, the course that you put them on, and how you can speak life and build a life or, or how you can destroy one too. How you can, and some of you, can I say this in love? I don't know you, so I can say this, but I, I know in a room this size, there are some of you, you're so good with words that you know how to chop people down and you can do it slick. I know people like that. They're sharp-tongued. Can I say this in love, especially for those of you that you have a great vocabulary, you're, you're, you're a master at you know, manipulation in that way? Be careful. Wield your words wisely. And really, that's what James is telling us. He gives another analogy, and this time, though, he's going to go towards the negative. He says, the tongue is a fire. See what great a forest a little fire kindles. It's a world of iniquity, verse 6. The tongue is set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. That's an interesting statement. How do we we set things on fire, the idea of connected to hell? Think about how much evil has been propagated in this world just by words. People like Mussolini and Stalin and Hitler. Right? Their great oratory speeches and how it influenced people for the greatest of evil. That, you know how you bring hell to earth? It's through this. And, and so James is letting us know, listen, there is power in our words, but be careful. There is destructive power in our words. And he likens it now. He moves from a horse's bit, from a ship, and now he's talking about a fire. Now, fire in itself is can be a good thing. Right? We, fire in its proper place is something we enjoy. Not that we have them here, but fire in a fireplace is good. Right? We don't need that in Okinawa. But fire in the barbecue, that's good. Make some s'mores, make some burgers and brats. We like fire in a barbecue. We like fire in our smelly candles. That's good. Right? But fire on your clothes, fire in your clothes is not good. No bueno. Fire in your walls, right? There, fire outside of the normal boundaries, out of bounds and out of control equals damaging, harmful, devastating. Now, I lived in Southern Cal for a number of years, and I have family there and friends there. And uh, last year, if you guys, maybe you do too, or if you live there, you know that the, some of the fires that happened in Southern and Northern Cal, horrible. And I know it wasn't just California, but you think about these trees are hundreds of years old you know, acres and acres of forest, and yet it's just this forest fire that destroyed all of that. James says, that's what your mouth is capable of. That's what our speech is potential of. We can actually destroy lives. It can spread like wildfire. We have to be very careful. It's a vivid picture that we know well. And James really is just amplifying what Solomon tells us in Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Gang, it's simple, but it's significant. It's practical. Your words are influential. 
Your words mean something. They are powerful. And we can weaponize our words. And we can inflict great hurt and harm to people. Or, as God would want us to do, we can speak life. And we can speak grace. And we can speak vitality to another human being that can be planted deeply in the heart of a child, of a spouse, a friend, even a stranger at a gym. It's amazing. And so we want to use our words wisely to impart life and grace to others. Now, James doesn't develop where and what it might look like, how lives can be destroyed, how much damage we can do with our mouths. But a lot of the scriptures talk about it. And often they come in the form of negative commands. I'll give you a couple. The Bible says, don't gossip. Don't be a, a, a tail bearer. Don't, don't be a big mouth. I, I can't think of something more damaging to the body of Christ than gossip and backbiting. This is little thing and it can spread like wildfire. The Bible says gossip is evil. It, it is the verbal form. It, it's of assault on another person. James is going to talk about how can you worship God and then curse a, a person who's been made in the image of God? You know, sometimes people say, oh, a little bird told me. You know, often, you know what birds are symbolic of in the scripture? Oftentimes? You guys know? The devil. You know, a little bird told me. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's probably not a good thing. Listen, don't be a liar. This is easy, right? Don't be a liar. The devil is a liar. Just tell the truth. That's always the best policy. These are things we learned when we were younger. Tell the truth. Don't tell dirty or crude or coarse jokes. You know, sometimes I hear people like, oh, I'm just keeping it real. Listen, you can keep it real, but just use a better vocabulary. You can be real without being a potty mouth. When someone says, I'm just keeping it real, my phrase in love is, well, then be better. Ephesians 4.23 says, let no corrupt speech come out of your mouth, only that, which, that is good for edification, building up, that we might impart grace to the person that hears us. So I, I realize also with our churches that we have a lot of military and you're in an environment and sometimes there's, there's a culture of certain language, but I'm going to tell you in love, listen, don't cuss. It's conduct unbecoming a child of God. Get a better vocabulary. And also, can I challenge you in this way? Don't use pseudo-cuss words. It's just the same thing, really. I love free things. You know what I found out is free, and I'm trying to use it more myself? Thesaurus.com. There's all kinds of words I never heard before. It's great. Because our words reveal a lot about who we are. And if we say that we're a Christian, if we say that we follow Christ, then our words should reveal that. The stories we tell, the jokes we relate, the conversations that we find ourselves in. Colossians 3.8 says you have to put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talking, 
Put it away from your mouth. The other ones are don't grumble and complain, don't brag, don't boast, and the list goes on. Proverbs 15, 28 says that the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked spews evil continually. Maybe you've heard this before, the acronym THINK before you speak. You guys heard that before? T-H-I-N-K. It's great. It's so simple, but it's good. Right? T is for true. You want to think before you speak. Ask these questions. Is what I'm going to say, is it true? Am I exaggerating? Am I making a lie? Is this thing true? T. H, is it helpful? Because sometimes things are true, but they're not edifying. People don't need to know. And so you want to ask, hey, is this a helpful thing? Am I going to impart help here? I is inspiring. Is it bringing life to this? Am I encouraging somebody? Am I cheering them on? N is necessary. There are times where, you know, it's just, it's not necessary to say anything. And I'm guilty of this. There's some times where I'm just going to talk because I want people to think that I'm smart. But then the reality is I open my mouth and realize you're an idiot, you know, when I should just, I should have just kept my mouth shut. But sometimes people just talk, not just the talk, but they want to impress people with how much they know. And so it's a good question. Is this necessary? Am I adding to the conversation or am I really just trying to impress the person? And K is kind. There is a lot of mileage on a kind word. A kind word goes far. Now be sincere. You don't want to just you know, speak empty flattery to somebody. They're going to know the difference. But it's a great acronym, and it's a great encouragement for us to think before we speak. In verse 7 and 8, he continues these other illustrations, and he talks about wild beasts. And he says, man, think about all these crazy animals that have been tamed. And it's amazing to think what kind of animals have been tamed, right? Lions and tigers and elephants. I have a friend in Thailand. He has a pet monkey. And remember when the monkeys escaped the zoo here? Were you guys here? I sent him the article. And the crazy thing was that the zoo put out a wanted poster. You guys see that? I wanted to put it up at our church and be like, hey, in case you see these bad guys, don't let them come in, you know? So funny. Isn't it amazing to think about the things that, you know, people have tamed? Right? You can go to, to a, a water park, and there's some place where you can stick your head inside a killer whale without them chopping it off. That's pretty amazing. And so James says, think about all the things that we've tamed, wild animals, but <laughs> how hard it is to tame this thing. Bad, bad tongue. Ah, right? And so he's just speaking truth. And he goes on to say, nobody can do it. No person can tame the tongue. Now, the idea is that we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own ability. That is why we absolutely need the Holy Spirit in us and working through us to sanctify our mouth, to sanctify our syntax, that we might even give the Lord our mouths. The psalmist would say, Lord, you know, set a guard over my mouth. May the meditations of my heart and my mouth be acceptable to you, Lord. And so James is giving us this, these other examples. And then he just says in verse 9, he says, with it, we bless God and our Father, which we do, right? We worship the Lord. We had beautiful worship this morning with the team. 
And yet if you're like me, sometimes I can go to church, I worship the Lord, and I get in my car and someone cuts me off, and I'm like, ah. Cursing people. He says, and we do this. And then out of the same mouth, it's the same source, it comes blessings and cursings. Here's the one imperative that James gives us, and it's in the negative. He says, don't do it. Family of Christ, pillar family, it's not good. He just simply says, this ought not to be. And my wife, um, she's getting into essential oils. I'm a, little bit, I'm a little bit skeptical personally. I'm like, hey, it's like a form of witchcraft, you know. It's like, oh, you have, a, you have a headache? Let me put these things on you. I'm like, no, get away with me, you know. Get away from me. What did I say? Anyways. You know, sometimes we think, well, what's the, what's the potion? What's the secret? What do we do? You know, there's an essential oil called breathe, right? Helps you breathe. Like, what's the essential oil to help my mouth? It's called stop. <laughs> it's called don't. <laughs> it's called quit. That's what James is saying. Apply stop to your mouth. Apply don't. See, these things just ought not to be. Now, how do we do that? Again, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so he's noting the hypocrisy that we're capable of. Out of the same source are two different products. We bless God and we curse and trash talk people. He says, gang, you shouldn't do that. Now Jesus tells us where, the hap- where, that sort- where, where are the headwaters of that? Where does it come from? He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When I was a kid, if I said a bad word, my mom would wash my mouth with soap. What did you say? March me into the bathroom and in went a bar of soap. I was thankful that they didn't have pump soap back then. There's times where the Lord in his grace, just we need a mouth washing. But often the mouth washing is really connected to the heart. We need a heart washing. And how do we do that? Well, this is where the Spirit tells us very graciously, listen, if we sin, and we do, and we've said things, and we have, that we can ask the Lord for forgiveness. And if it's warranted, we need to ask the person that we've hurt or harmed for forgiveness. But that when we sin, God is faithful and just as we confess those sins to cleanse us and wash us of all unrighteousness. And, and sometimes, and many times for us, it's really just giving our heart back to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you sanctify my heart that I might have sanctified speech? James continues the rest of the analogies. And they all have to do with the source producing two different things, the hypocrisy of it. Can a fig tree produce olives or can a grapevine produce figs? No. It's rhetorical questions, no. That shouldn't be, that's unnatural. The point is that if Christ is really in us, then our words should reveal that. And it's Jesus who tells us that if we abide in him, that we are the branches and he is the vine, that we will bear much fruit. And if his words abide in us, then we will bear much fruit. It's the fruit then not only of just our living, but it's the fruit of our speaking, the words that we say. 
that they'll become more Christ-like. The fruit of our lips and the fruit of our speech. Gang, our words are powerful. Wield them wisely. Realize that you, by one word, a spoken word, have the ability to destroy a life where you can speak life to somebody. Let's think before we speak. Just, it's the righteous that ponders what they'll say before they say it. It's true, is it helpful, inspiring, is it necessary, is it kind? To realize that our words reveal a lot about who we are. It's James that says it's the mature that's able to have discerning speech. And there's no condemnation. The conviction is good. There's times where the Lord will send a word or a person, and, and sometimes it's a word that might hurt us, but it's that we might be strengthened and stabilized and healthier. And James gives us such a word. That our hearts might be washed and sanctified so that our mouths might be sanctified. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. You're a good and gracious God. Lord, we agree with the psalmist. Set a guard upon our hearts and our mouths, Lord. Father, help us to be those that impart grace to others. God, help us to be life givers, not only in what we do, but in what we say. And Lord, we thank you that you love us and that by your spirit, Lord, we can do these things. And in ourselves, who can tame the tongue? Nobody. But your spirit and through your spirit, we can. And so, God, we thank you for a very practical reminder of the importance of our words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.